Ecclesiastes uh, 3, 11. Now, this is an exercise in, uh, in Bible turning because it's not many times people find it difficult to know exactly where Ecclesiastes is. So if you're smart, you just go to the, you know, the front and say, where's Ecclesiastes? Or you can remember that it is in the end of the books of poetry. It's actually considered, uh, but the Jews considered it a book of poetry. So it, you have the Psalms and the Proverbs. And then, of course, uh, the Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. So we're looking at Ecclesiastes 3. I want to read it in the King James, of course. But I want to talk about it a little bit because sometimes people miss this. And there's a couple things. So we're going we're gonna to read it in the, uh, in the text out loud together. And this will be our text. Now we're going to read the whole thing. <laughs> Hold on just a minute. We're going to read the whole thing here. Uh, verse 11. Here we go. Do you have it? Now, you, you're not, you can't follow that because that's just what I'm going to teach from. I didn't put it all on there, but I want to read the whole verse. Ecclesiastes, how many, I'm, well, I'm not going to ask that, but I pray that all of you have found Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. So if you're still wondering and you're not wanting to go to the front to find it, let's say you're too uh, uh, spiritual, you don't want to have to do that. Well, then just go to Proverbs, which you go to all the time and just keep going. All right. Verse 11. Shall we read it together? He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now, I want to expand on it because the King James leaves a slight uh, a few questions that I'm not condemning the translation, but it leaves some uh, questions and I want to answer them. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, Lord, as we look at eternity tonight and what it means to truly give our hearts to God and to live in the light of eternity, I pray that you will help us and minister to each life, Lord, in the church. I know it's July, but I thank you right now for everyone that's listening to the word of God and we give you praise. Amen. And everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Uh, my lesson tonight's entitled Living in the Light of Eternity. So we're looking at 10 principles, and there are so many that it, it, it's, they're, they're just almost, well, we'd have to say they're innumerable. But uh, because you'd have to go through and spend week after week looking at the principles that cause you to see things through the eyes of God. That's really what we're talking about. Seeing the in the light of eternity. Should I listen to that music? Well, what, what does eternity tell me about that? If they're full of the devil, should I be listening to their music? See, what, do I, what am I going to, how am I going to live in the light of eternity? So I'm going to look at 10 principles, and I want to begin here with Ecclesiastes. Now, there are two or three things, but I want to jump in the middle. Let's see if he hath made everything. Okay, I did put the beginning. I thought I'd cut it out. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Can you just say that much with me? He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Uh, so we'll just leave that as it is. I'm thinking here of the Hebrew. I've given, given you a Hebrew word here, which is, which is olam, 
which is uh, in the black box in the yellow. Because you, you, you can probably tell that's Hebrew. All right. So the Hebrews to the right. <clears throat> and then the verse continues also. Everybody say also. So he had made everything beautiful. So the point, of course, is I'm trying not to get too technical, that he has made everything so amazing that it causes you to look into it. That's what he's talking about. So when you see a flower, you think, oh, my goodness. Or you see a, uh, well, I've not been able to get Sister French to be fascinated by spiders yet. But the day may come. Uh, No, she says no. So I don't think she's ever going to be fascinated by uh, any kind of a bug or a snake or, you know, things like that. But when you, I mean, and I'm not very fascinated by snakes. I, I more or less think of them as things I'm just not fascinated with. But most of creation you look at, if you, can, if you have a, an ability to do it. For example, the other day I was just thinking about the recent discussion among scientists, many of whom now are agnostic or atheists. There are many, many scientists today that have decided. Now, that doesn't mean many, many are not. I'm simply saying that we live in an age where science is, uh, it, we're in, in, let's just call it an interesting age of science. When many people are cutting the, their nose off to spite their face. You ever heard that expression? It's a horrible expression. I don't know why I used it. Um, that's, but it's one that just came to, to mind. Um, they are scientists, in order to not look at the truth about God, they're thinking of every conceivable possibility about why things are like they are. One of which, of course, is what I've brought this up to say, and that is that the expanse of the cosmos is such that they cannot find its end. They can't find its end. There's no such thing as finding the throne of God. Someone said to me years ago, well, if God had a throne, we'd surely have found it by now. And I said, well, you can't even find the end of the universe. So how are you going to find his throne room? Because it's certainly not in our created order. And you can't find any machinery. You can't find, and they, they, the, what was it called? The huddle or whatever it was called. They, they, they couldn't, they got the most powerful microscope. I mean, <laughs> a telescope. Oh, help me, Lord. That's going to be a great Bible study. A, a, the most powerful telescope known to man. It was, I mean, it was incredible. And they cannot find the end of the created order. Everything that God created is still beyond our ability to see. And I've asked several people, why can't we find the end? What is going on? I mean, is it, uh, what is that? What is it, uh, we just can't create a strong enough device and so, which of course that would be the answer. No, there's no device that can find the end of it and uh, because there must be an end to it. So think of a God that can make a created order that you cannot even find its limits. But God holds it in the span of his hand. So when you see the created order, now you may run from it, but its beauty and all that it is causes you to think about God. Let's say it that way. And then so it says, also he hath set the world, everybody say the world, And that, of course, is olam here. He has set the world in their heart. Now, that's critical because 
what does it mean when the Bible says, or the King James in this case, hath, uh, says he hath set the world in their heart? And, and so it is, and that's why I put it in a little red circle. It's the eternal aspect of all of God's created uh, creation, visible and invisible. So that the, everything that God has done, everything that God we see of God and know about God causes his uh, the eternality of his power to be in us so that we recognize the awesomeness of God. Does anybody believe that we serve an awesome God here tonight? So he has set the world, the King James says, in their heart. Now, I want to go a little bit further, okay, because Alam is only translated world when this Hebrew word means what I just described, that is the eternal aspect of the created order, not the world in sense of, of Hollywood and the devil and all of that. No, sir. It is the world in the sense of its awe and its eternality. So therefore, it is usually in the King James, usually translated everlasting. For example, Psalm 139.24. Can you see that little teeny bit of scripture to the right there? No? Okay, I'm going to point to it just since you can't see it. <laughs> it's over here. Lead me. Let's read that. Lead me in the way everlasting. Another word for that is eternity. And most modern translations go with eternity, rightfully so. Because you're not talking about God himself. God's eternality, nobody has that. How many is that none of us are God? He gives us eternality. For example, does anybody plan to live on after you die? Anybody planning on getting out of here and living forever in heaven? Well, that eternality comes from a God who is eternal. The only way I could ever be, I mean, hey, folks, look at me. You think I'm going to be eternal? You're supposed to say, of course. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> that was not the right question to ask, but I don't. Nothing about this natural body is going to live forever. God has to give me eternal life, as we like to call it. And there we, of course, eternal, uh, there's a very special Greek word for that, but we're looking at Hebrew, remember. So he had set, and I'm going to give you now the ESV, which is here, which I'm doing this on purpose. He had put eternity into man's heart. That's a very good translation. So, and by the way, ESV is the the one translation of all of them, of the major translations that stays as close to the King James. They may not admit that, but it is true. And I think they did it on purpose. I think they did it because the King James is so popular. Literally 60% of all people use it, and you can't get hardly four people to use the others. And so they try to say it's close to the King James, even though they're cutting scriptures out and so on. It's hard to stay close to the King James when you're cutting whole chapters out of the Bible, but... Other than that, it stays as close to the King James as it can. But when it translates olam as eternity, it is exactly right. He has put eternity into man's heart. That is to say that it is innate to man's heart to think about and recognize his creator. Even though they may say, I don't believe in God, you can run from God, you can deny God, but he still is in your heart. You are still prompted by it. You are still looking around and saying, wow. Every time they say, wow, every time they, are, they, they see the awe of a rose, they are seeing the eternity of God. So that, now I'm continuing, I'm going back here to the King James now, so that, no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now, this so that here is better, is better understood if you say, 
uh, even then, in other words, even when God puts it in their heart, no man can find out the work. In other words, when God places a soul within us and our heart is given to us by God, we're made in the image of God, and even though we are filled with the awe and beauty of God, we cannot search out the greatness and the awesomeness of our God. Hallelujah. That's what this verse is saying. He's made everything so beautiful and awesome that he hath set eternity in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God worketh from the beginning to the end. If you begin even just to try to understand a rose today, you'd probably spend most of your life. Even the scientists, that can they cannot comprehend the bumblebee just alone. They don't know how the dinosaurs got in the earth. They, they think, well, that must have been trillions of years and so on. All of the contemplations causes the heart to say, wow, what's going on? What is it all about? So they say, well, I'm just like a dog. I'm going back in the dirt. We all go to the dirt. I'm just a nothing. I go back into the dirt. But they know it's not true. You say, well, you have a soul. Oh, I don't believe in souls. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in the future. I don't believe in eternity. So you just believe just like a gnat on the back of a dog that you're going to just go into the dust and that's it. Yep, that's what I believe. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know in your mind there's something very unique about what God has made in man. And you look around, you can't see, you can't see any gnats building uh, big cities. You can't, I don't know of any gnats that are building big cities. Now, they seem to be getting all around Georgia, but they're not building big cities. Praise God. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, which is what this verse is talking about, but because by it I see everything else. It is through the light of eternity. It's not, I don't just believe in heaven and eternity and God because I see his light, but because in the light of heaven, everything else begins to make sense. Praise God. It doesn't make sense to me that what we should live for is to murder my neighbor. That doesn't make any sense. To take drugs until you completely kill yourself. That doesn't make any sense. To smoke and drink and and be vile and be filled with hatred. That doesn't make any sense. But heaven, now that makes sense to me. And that is what Lewis was trying to say. So I want to look at 10 basic principles. And we'll see if we, I think we can do this all in this one big sweep here. So let's begin, shall we? The first one is the longing for heaven is the light of eternity that is within us. And so we begin this question of how can I make heaven and what is it about heaven? In fact, I've noticed a, a subtle shift in the last 10 years or so that now people that do not believe in Christianity, like Hollywood stars and so people like that, who say, I don't believe in Christianity, there's a bunch of meanies. Those very people are talking about going to heaven. The most interesting thing uh, is this latest book that they just, oh, they can't wait to put that on the front page because it says all of the different religions, they'll all meet in heaven. And I told him, so I said, I thought you didn't believe in heaven. Oh, I do now. We're all going to heaven. I said, well, that's a bigger deception than before. When there was no heaven, 
I mean, that's a horrible deception. But that's not nearly so deceptive as the thought that there, there is simply no criteria by which you get there. It's just another place like living in Brooklyn. No, sir, my friend. No, no, the very fact of the longing to be pleasing to God, the longing for heaven. Does anybody want to see Jesus here tonight? Anybody want to make heaven tonight? Praise God. Now, I'm not here to line up a set of rules and regulations. That's not the purpose of my message. I'm not the least bit ashamed of holiness. Holiness is right. It is godly. It is biblical. We ought to live by it. But I'm not here to set up a stack of rules. I'm here to tell you that heaven will be won by those that walk in his precepts. They're going to walk into heaven. They're going to see him. So the difference between the waiting virgins at the wedding, we typically think of them as the foolish virgins. That's how most people, I think, probably think of them. The waiting virgins at the wedding, the difference was that the wise were ready to wait. That's principle number one. Many people have lost their way to heaven because he didn't come soon enough for them. When they were 30, they were ready, but now that they're 40, they're not ready because they did not prepare to wait for his coming. Now, folks, it is as important to plan to go. That's important, but it is as important to wait for his coming as it is to plan to make the trip. They are both critical because here's what the devil knows. If he, if God waits long enough or you live long enough or whatever the, the circumstances may be, the devil knows that he will, if he works hard enough on some people, he will draw them from the longing of their heart. And he will trick them into thinking that longing is just a bunch of pie in the sky. You're not, there really is no heaven. I don't think it really matters. I don't think God really cares or whatever deception it is. Let me tell you, if God said it, he meant it, and it's true. If the Bible says it, it's true. Every devil in hell can dance all, all over this universe if they want to. God's word is true. It is true. And God will stand by his word. Yes, he will. Have you ever wondered why they didn't just say to the, <laughs> I don't want to go into this too far. Okay, so I've got 10. I want to look at several things here. But isn't it interesting that they couldn't have just said, uh, you don't have any oil, or let's, uh, let's send out? Of course, we know that the answer probably was that it was too late by that point. They couldn't have no time to go get more oil and so forth. But the critical point is that somebody was preparing for the wait. And the wise virgins had, as we see here, Matthew 25, 4, the wise took oil in their vessels. Can we just lift our hands and ask the Lord to help us to make sure that we're preparing adequately for, with his oil in our hearts and lives? Father, you often speak of the spirit as the oil. Father, we thank you for it, and we know that you are in us, and we, we need you as never before. And some that are allowing their vessel to empty out and not be filled, I pray that you will speak to them tonight and help them see that if they plan to make heaven, they need to plan for the long haul. Praise God. Now.
Um, 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see through a glass, how? Darkly, notice that. Notice the King James is a comma after glass. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. These are two verses that follow one after the other. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then shall I know, even as also I am known. Now, I've said for many years, and I, I've, I think I've spent a big chunk of my ministry saying, I'm not sure what that means, how we're going to know as we're known. Because the, the Greek word here uh, is a very common word where we, we get the word know, or it's from the word know. Everybody say no. That's a Greek word. The Greek word know is an English word now. So we say, I know well, you, that you've got that from the Greeks. So, but they would have said gnosis, of course, because they have to add endings to it. And so the, this word, if you'll notice right here, this little, everybody say, praise the Lord. Anybody going to help me tonight? I don't need forever. I just want to talk to you about 10 pre, uh, principles here. Okay, you can see it right there. So when you add epi to the word gnosis, which is the word to know, I know, uh, 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 well, anyway, you, you understand what the word no is. All right. When you add the, to the word epi to the word gnosis, it, it usually means uh, to recognize something. I know it by recognition. And so for years, I, I wouldn't let myself see past the obvious. And so recently in prayer and thinking about heaven and thinking about people that I used to think it meant that we'll get to heaven and I'll recognize you and you'll recognize me. That's what I thought it meant. I thought it, that must be what it means. But, it, but if you were going to say that, why would you? Uh, it, it was a, kind of an odd way to speak in terms of the Greek language. So I, I, I just said, well, I, I remember many times being in front of a group and saying, well, I think this just means that you're going to recognize your mom when you get to heaven. I've said that so many times, and, and I thought that was true. I no longer understand that. That is not what, when you add epi to the word, I, I've been thinking about this and thinking about the way in which um, what what the revelation is, because I don't know if anybody's sitting around saying, well, well I think that my mom is uh, Abraham Lincoln. I don't think many people are going to get to heaven and say, oh, mom, I thought you were Abraham Lincoln. Anybody think that's going to happen? That the Bible had to help us to know that we're going to know, by, recognize one another. So I came to realize that that was a faulty understanding, not only of the Greek, but just common sense. That when you get to heaven, there's no reason to think that we're not going to recognize anybody else. Sometimes people have thought this based on the resurrection of Jesus and when he came out, they didn't know him and so forth. That's an entirely different subject and, and, and interesting. But, but here I'm trying to make a point here. But then shall I know that is epi. I'm adding epi now to gnosis. And when you add epi to gnosis, what that does is it means I will know fully. I'm going to know what I never knew before. When I get to heaven. Now, that doesn't mean, how many see this little, see this little line right here? That means I'm going to know completely or fully, but not everything. I'm not going to be God and know everything. Only God knows everything. But I'm going to know the things that I could never comprehend. I'm going to understand what I could not understand. I'm going to know fully when I get to heaven. Hallelujah. 
And just think of all these. You know how much money we're spending on education in this country? It is unbelievable. I mean, it's incomprehensible, the money we're spending on education in this country. And, and I meet people every day that can't read, they can't write, they can't add. It's, it is unbelievable. And yet, you say to them, there's coming a day when if you make heaven everything you ever thought about, you're, everything you ever needed to know, you're going to know, you're going to be and comprehend things that you never thought were possible before. Can we just clap our hands and thank God? Can we just thank God for a day that's coming? There's coming a day, hallelujah. And I shall know even as I am or have been known. I'm going just as God has known me. Now I understand that to mean this because of the tense of that verb. So I'm going to have complete knowledge And now, everybody say now, abides, continues to abide or remain are three things. Faith, everybody say faith, hope, charity. These three, they remain. Everything else may pass, but these are going to remain. But the greatest of these is love. And so it is, we need to concentrate on things that have eternal, lasting value so hope listen folks i don't know what it is you're struggling with i'm sure you're struggling because life has struggles but how many knows that faith can change your future you need to get a hold of faith hope is something that you don't need to leave on the side of the road somebody needs to listen to their pastor tonight you need to get a hold of hope and not let this world tell you there's no hope there is hope hallelujah but the greatest of these is love Love is going to outlast everything else. Love is the greatest of all that remains, and we need to get a hold of it like we've never done before. If we long for heaven, then we must have a quest for eternal things in our lives. So we need to have faith. Praise God. Can we just lift our hands and thank God for what he's going to do right now? Lord, by faith I see it. Lord, I see it in, through the eye of faith. And Lord, I thank you for it in this world of sickness and trouble. Faith tells us that things can happen that would not have happened otherwise. Our hope is set in you. And love, Lord, changes us into being Christ-like in all that we do. Praise God. So if you have to make a choice, which I don't think you do, but if you had to make a choice, then, then be loving. You have to make a choice, be loving. You say, well, I look like a fool. Well, just be loving. Quit worrying about that. Be loving. Be filled with hope and faith and let God fill your heart. And then, of course, that all stems from this longing to see the Lord. Now, let's go, shall we? So is God your priority in the world? That's our next question. So we're looking at principles here. And and I, I, I put this ahead of another uh, concept, but let's let's go with it. Is God your priority? That's the question. Many, many people uh, talk about God, you know, almost like their neighbors. And, you know, yeah, God and I, we got our own thing going. Remember that song, Sister French? Me and Jesus. Oh, can't believe I hummed that. Oh, I didn't hum it. I sang it. Um, I, anyway, if you love that song, uh, I'm glad. It, uh, I'm glad for you. But... Uh, this idea that, you know, God doesn't care about anything and he's just sitting around 
uh, blind, doesn't see you murdering and pillaging and so forth. That's God sees everything. He knows exactly what's going on. So if God is not your priority, God knows it. Now, let's look at some questions here. Do you put eternity, I mean, earthly needs ahead of spiritual things? Well, then God is not your priority. If you are putting earthly things ahead of spiritual, and then on top of that, you rob God of tithes and offerings, God is not your priority. You cannot rob God and then claim God is your priority. If he's not in charge of every dime you've got, he is not your priority. You have got to give him control of all of your heart, your mind, your pocketbook, your bank account. You have got to say this is the Lord's so that the preacher, it's the same for the preacher. Everything that I've got, everything I'm doing, I'm doing it because God is my priority. Praise God. And so I thank God every day. I thank God for being in, in, uh, in Jonesboro. He called me here. But would I trade the will of God to be in Jonesboro? Never. No, no, no. I'm not trading the will of God to be in Jonesboro. I'm not going to stay in Jonesboro because uh, of something or some uh, advantage it might bring or, or some opportunity. All of those things are fine and good. But the will of God is first, and God is my priority. And that should be true of all of our lives. I didn't mean to use myself as an example. What I meant to say is that it's the same for preacher and saint. It's no difference. A man of God, if he loves money more than God, then he's a fool. If you love things more than God, you're a fool. You need to put God first and obey his word. Number two, are you excited about mundane pleasures? Let's say like sports and television and movies and so forth and struggle to even be faithful to the house of God. You have not put God as a priority in your life. And if you become a foreigner to the altar, you are, uh, you are fooling yourself. If you, if you believe that God is a priority in your life and you can't spend more than three or four minutes in an altar, God is not your priority. You're probably backslidden. In fact, what I'm describing are people who are backsliding. Number three, do you find little or no time for prayer and the Bible? Well, then... You're backslidden. No child of God who has given God everything ignores prayer and ignores the Bible because they're the two foundations of faith. If you don't love the Bible enough to read it and you don't have enough concern to pray, you are not a spiritual being. You've given up on the priority of heaven. Hey, the minimum, the minimum. You've got a car and you put gas in it. I mean, who, what kind of a, what? Okay, hallelujah. Just think of this. What's your car doing out there in the middle of the road? Well, I can't, there's no gas. But I'm not going to put any gas in it. I'm not spending a dime on that thing. Would anybody spend the money for an automobile but not be willing to put in it what is necessary, what is fundamental? Prayer and Bible are the pillars of the Christian faith. If you don't pray, you're backslidden. Listen to me. If you are not praying, you are backslidden. 
I don't care what else you're doing. You can be living by standards out of a book that you ordered from Sears and Roebuck and you are backslidden if prayer means nothing to you. No, here's what the devil does, of course, as he then convinces you that your little lay me down to sleep as a prayer and so on. I'm not talking about whispering a little something now and then. I'm talking about prayer as a priority. First of all, how else are you communicating with God? And how are you learning about him if his, if his word bores you to death? Then how can you even know anything about him? And then the carnal and the worldly appeals to you. Like if a, some smutty person from Hollywood tells some smutty joke, you're laughing your head off. But you cannot even have time to spend four, three or four minutes in the altar. So uh, you need to let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Just having a longing for heaven will not prepare you. You have to keep oil in your vessel. All right, let's keep going. Now let's go to the next one, and this is what we're trying to get to. Now I want to read, this is the New Living Translation, which is uh, about as far from the King James as you'll ever get. It's the opposite of what I just described with the uh, ESV, which stays as close to the King James as possible. This, this is the New Living, and I, I, I'm not saying it's a bad translation. I know the guy that trans, I used to work for them. I know them. I'm not condemning it in any way. I'm simply saying that it is as far from the tr King James as you're going to get. And yet it's faithful to the Greek. It's not faithful to keep scriptures in there. It cuts scriptures out, but it's faithful to the Greek that it believes it should be in there. So let's, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to read uh, only portions of verses, and I'll tell you what I'm reading. So if you have the King James, which is a good idea, it doesn't hurt. And I know you think, oh, my goodness, help us, Lord. Uh, I, I think I can go quickly now that I'm uh, kind of through those first little things there. First, the sense of the fire of God within our very soul. That is what, that's what I, when people ask me, what's the difference in Pentecostals? Well, we've got the fire, the Holy Ghost and fire. It burns inside of us. Hallelujah. Anybody thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost tonight? Hallelujah. I, I'm going to skip that. I want to stay there, but I, I'm going to keep going. Now, so let's go to Jeremiah and verse 20. I'm just going to read, uh, well, I'm going to read half of it so you can see what I'm doing. Just try to follow me here. So what is this burning of fire? Well, Jeremiah, this is where I, I'm convinced, of course, that these Jewish Christians in, at the time of Christ were borrowing this very language. It's very common that Jeremiah spoke this way. But his word, I'm reading now verse 9. I'm right in the middle of it. His word was in mine heart as a what? As a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. Praise God. And then the ESV, I'm, I'm continuing there with the ESV. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I'm using that because it is so clear and it is so accurate. The King James is a little more difficult. I want you to see it immediately. And I am weary with holding it in. When, I, when this word begins to burn within my soul, I can't hold it in. I become like a new person. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm perfect. It's because the word of God is a fire in my bosom. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, let's keep going. Now we're looking at chapter 24. We looked at verse 
9 of chapter 20. Now I want to read just a few words from the King James in Jeremiah 24. So here we are. They're, they're bringing it up. And you see, how many see the burning Bible? You know how long it took me to find that burning Bible? All right. Is, let's read it together. Is not my word like a fire? So. Those that want to say, I'm a child of God, but I'm bored with the Bible. You are backslidden. The word of God is like a fire. Who said so? God himself said so. His word. I've had people say, well, you Pentecostals, you're all emotional. And we're, we're just the, we're God, you're God's uh, chosen people. We're God's frozen people. Someone actually told me that. And they were they were serious. You're God's chosen. We're God's frozen. But that's not an option, my friend. Is not my word like a fire? Yes. God is not giving you an option to say, well, I, I think I'll just live a frozen life. No, the, the option, if you're going to fill the longing in your soul, is to experience the fire of heaven in your life. Could we pray? Could, let's pray for our souls right now that God will send the fire of his word into their hearts. Father, right now I pray for hungry hearts and lives. Ask God that you would touch people. Let your will be done and give us strength and faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm, I want to go ahead. I'm just going to see if I'm okay. Oh, oh, I'm, okay. I got to go really fast. Now let's go to the next one. All right. Let's look at Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he, he has heard my voice and my supplications. Can everybody say, I love the Lord? See that in the little box there? So see this guy? I don't know where this came from, but I found it. He's a frozen guy. And he's in a frozen sun. I'm sure I, I know it's fake. I'm I'm just saying that I found it and it symbolically it fits. Many people think that it doesn't matter what their heart does, what it experiences, what they bring into their lives. But all of God's people must have the fire of the spirit. Now, I don't mean I don't mean I'm obviously not talking about a literal fire. I'm talking about the burning and the realization of the power of God within a person. You know, you can actually feel it. I've been, I've walked in, I was in a, talking to some people. They were not a bit of them Christians. And I walked in and I felt the Holy Ghost so strong. And I said, wow, I feel the Holy Ghost. Just, I said it just about like that. And they were like, Ooh. I said, what is going on in here? They said, oh, I don't know. I said, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Now, I could have kept it quiet. I could have been sensitive to their feelings and just said, oh, I don't want to make them frightened. I actually wanted them to know that I felt the Holy Ghost. And I really did. I've gotten to the point where I've quit hiding and quit acting like, oh, oh, don't mind me. I'm just a Pentecostal. Hey, I, I want to tell you, my friend, this world is looking for heaven. They've got heaven in their souls. They need an answer and God can bring it to them. Praise God, the fire can change everything. Now, let's keep going. I, I, about half of that we would have been awesome, but we've got to get to this next one. All right, so this world can never satisfy the heart, and it will not get you to heaven. Living a worldly life will not get you to heaven. 
This world can neither get you to heaven nor can they satisfy the longing for heaven that is in your heart. They can't feel it. I don't care. I've heard people say that, oh, listen to that singer right there, and they're singing ungodliness. Well, they were raised in a Pentecostal church. Someone told me that the other day. They were raised in a Pentecostal church. I said, well, they long ago froze over. That's what's happened to them. Whatever they, if they were raised in a Pentecostal church. Now, I'm not saying that's common. I, I, it's not common. I'm simply saying they told me that. That, that, that young lady is, was a Pentecostal. I said, you would have fooled me. I wonder if you ask her right now what she would say. Oh, right now she says God is just Buddha and anything else. So in other words, she's completely agnostic. She's completely lost her faith. And thinking that that music will substitute because it's music, you know, just because it's music, my friend. Now, that doesn't mean they're not talented. Now, some of them are not talented. But if they're talented, they're talented. But that doesn't mean because they're talented and they've got millions or they can kick a football that they can satisfy what the soul is longing for. They can't do it, and they never will do it. For John says, for all that is in the world. Everybody say, all that is in the world. In other, in other words, I'm trying to go fast here. In other words, there's nothing that's in this world. It goes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all the materialism, all the ego, none of it is of God. And it cannot satisfy the heart. Now, Samuel warned in 1 Samuel, it's right over here to the right, chapter 12. Do not turn aside. I'm reading the ESV. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver. And, of course, they were talking about them turning to other gods. And our culture has turned to other gods. All right, let's keep going. And I think this is it. Is this the last one? All right, let's stand. Let's stand, shall we? All right, Mark chapter 12. We're to love the Lord God with what? All of our heart. Let's lift our hands and praise God. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify your name. We ask your Lord to touch each one. Let your spirit be in us. We give you praise. Praise God with all of our heart, Lord. Once when the Cleveland Symphony was performing the magic flute by Mozart, a storm knocked the lights out in the arena where they were performing. Just went black. But they knew the music so perfectly that they completed the performance without a single error in complete darkness. That's why it has to be in your heart, my friend. It can't just be something you come to church and somebody says you're this or that and you know it's got to be in your heart. Now, let's go to the very last scripture. Is there one more? Is that it? I can't get this to work. Sooner or later, Aldous Huxley, the great evolutionist, said, Sooner or later, one asks even of Shakespeare, even of Beethoven, 
Is that all? Because this world cannot fulfill the heart. But there is one who can satisfy the heart. So friend, now's the time to give him your heart and give him your all. Could we just love him one more time? Father, tonight, thank you for a good, refreshing word from God that lifts us, Lord, to remember that we must give you our very, very best. Lord, let us give you our all and magnify you in the process. And, Lord, and we can make a difference in this dark world, and we can love you, Lord, with all of our heart. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.